Hello and welcome to the Auditorium Podcast with myself, Dr. David Bramwell, and my co-host... Oh, sorry, I was just looking at some animal uh, erotica. Uh, yes, um, sorry, Mr. David Mountfield. Mr. David Thank Mountfield. You. Yeah. Um, and uh, is that something you're going for, a bit of, bit of animal well, erotica? It, it, I, I point out it's not, it's not out now, bestiality. It's just, just a sort of slash fiction site for um, uh, Animal Hospital. Um, it's very good, very good, very well written. Now that, curiously ties in quite neatly with our guest speaker today, which is uh, Tilly Gregory, who is uh, an author of, of an unusual, perhaps unique genre of fiction, which is which is werewolf erotica. And, and she's going to be talking about uh, uh, a, a sort of a Allen Ginsberg style court case, which, uh, yes. which arose out of her uh, freedom of speech. Uh, well, actually, no, it was whether it was proven as literature, wasn't it? It uh, was. We, yeah, we'll quite... find out more in the talk. But uh... and we as it's number three, perhaps we just need to qualify again. The, yeah, Dave, uh, the, what the heck is an auditorium? Exactly, exactly. That's a good thank you for asking. No, not a problem. Uh, it's Well, I suppose it's a portal into the passions and uh, interests of, um, of everyday folk, um, w- with bearing in mind the fact that there kind of is no such thing as, a, as, as an everyday person, that so when any of us, our lives are put under the microscope, we're revealers to be um, perverts weirdos. and weirdos. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly in our cases. <laughs> so the talk we're about to hear was actually recorded in the Spiegel tent, one of the old glass and wood tents from Germany from the 30s that appeared in Brighton Festival uh, this year, where Tilly was speaking. And a Brighton Festival, for, for those who don't know, is actually the third largest arts festival in the world. Correct. The other two being Adelaide and, of course, Edinburgh. There we go. Where, of course, this talk went on to go is a full-length show, didn't it? She took this, uh, the uh, werewolf erotica she wrote to the Edinburgh Festival, where it was very successful. I, I understand so. Yes, print. thank you, Memory Man. That's Mr. Mountfield right. there, demonstrating the vast wealth of inane facts. <laughs> exactly, at my fingertips. <laughs> stored in your, in your brain. Okay, and, and so, yet I have no friends. Carry on. And yeah, okay. Without further ado, here's Tilly Gregory with Werewolf Erotica. I'm going to talk to you about Werewolf Erotica. I think that's a really good subject for a talk because, I mean, who here in this room hasn't wondered about the seductive world of writing fiction about men and occasionally women who, on full moon night, turn into wolves and on every night are very, very sexy and also very sexy during the day. That's quite important in Whale Erotica. They have got to be... They can't just turn into wolves. They've got to do it in a sexy, sexy, sexy way. And it's obviously a subject that grips a lot of people. Um, In the next few minutes, I'm going to explain to you how someone was gripped by my Werewolf Erotica in a way that possibly took it a little bit far. But I should really make really clear that I'm not just any old author of Werewolf Erotica that you might hear giving a talk about Werewolf Erotica and evening of esoteric talks. I am the most famous author of Werewolf Erotica in the world. And I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to prove that to you tonight. But what I should make clear, I'm going to talk about my career in Werewolf Erotica, but this isn't any kind of careers guidance advice. There's two reasons for that. First of all, that grant application was turned down. But um, secondly, you can't, you can't explain how to become an author of Werewolf Erotica because you don't choose Werewolf Erotica. Werewolf Erotica chooses you. It just... It just happens to you, I think. And I used to be a stand-up comedian, and I stopped doing stand-up comedy for a little while. And as so often happens when you're not paying attention, I started writing erotic novels. 
and ended up doing probably the only thing that I could do that is actually less sexy than being a stand-up comedian. In fact, the main difference I found between doing stand-up and writing erotic novels is people tend not to ask me if I really do all the things in my stand-up comedy. But the big twist, the big twist that you might not be expecting, I'm really good at writing erotic novels. I was really, really good at it. I can demonstrate by uh, showing you some of the some of the works I've produced. I didn't start with werewolves. You don't just start with werewolf erotica. I started with something called contemporary erotica. This is my first book. This book is about a woman who spies on gay men having sex and then pretends to be a man and goes online and has cyber sex with gay men and then falls for one of them and so then pretends, gets her boyfriend to pretend to be her and go on a date with them and really asks the question, has she gone too far? <laughs> and, and kind of answers it with yes. Clearly yes. So that's, that's, the, fir that's the first one. Second one, this one. Um, this is a book about a woman who becomes obsessed with a... None of these books are autobiographical, I should point out. Um, this one book who becomes obsessed with a male prostitute and ends up chasing him all around Brighton. Um, when I pitched this book, they really liked the Brighton aspect of it for some reason, and they said, oh, can you make it really authentically about Brighton, like with all the antique shops? <laughs> and I said yes, but didn't do that at all. <laughs> but despite that, they let me write a third book. And um, this is my third book. This book is about a woman who has a fetish for um, disabled people, people in wheelchairs, and has an, has an affair with a guy in a wheelchair. This book had... <clears throat> Let's say it had mixed reviews. There was a, a romantic fiction website that described that book as the book that was most like a car crash of 2007. But I took that as a compliment because there's actually a car crash in the book. That's how he ends up in a wheelchair. So if the book was a lot like a car crash and I'd written about it, isn't that good writing? I think it might be. And perhaps that's the reason why this book this book won quite a prestigious award. For this book, I won um, Writer of the Year at the Erotic Awards 2007. The publishers said to me, oh, you've got to write another book now. But you see, at that point, if you've been paying attention, you know, I'd written a book about a woman who spies on gay men having sex. And I'd written a book about a woman who's obsessed with a male prostitute. And I'd written a book about a woman who has a fetish for men in wheelchairs. What other kind of sex is there? And I said to them, Look, I just don't think I've got another book in me. And they said, well, we're starting a line of paranormal erotica. Would you like to write a trilogy about vampires? And I said, not really. And that's when I sealed my fate. Because that's when I said to them, could do one about werewolves. Though. And I did. And that's how I came to write three books of werewolf erotica in a year. Mostly in 2008. Here they are. They're real, they're real books. Um, I, really, I, really, I really wrote them. But the thing is, these books came out, and I had really high hopes. I thought something really exciting was going to happen with these books. And nothing exciting happened. I had quite a nice time writing them, but then once that was done, that was, that was it. And um, I was a bit... You know, because... I think when you do kind of creative endeavours, what, what do you really want? Well, money, I suppose, is the first one. Getting stuff for free is like the second one. It's kind of reverse money. And um, 
getting to have sex with people who are a lot more attractive than the people that you would have sex with otherwise. I mean, I think that's like the big three of all show business. Um, none of that happened. I like, looked at my advances and I looked at my royalty statements and I looked at the faces of the people I'd had sex with and I thought, this, is, this isn't what I thought was going to happen. I mean, the only other thing that you really want, I think, is feedback. I mean, like things like, you know, thoughtful broadsheet reviews. But that doesn't really happen with werewolf erotica. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the, the serious literary sections, they don't devote that much space to werewolf fiction in general, let alone werewolf sex fiction. Um, but that's when something really weird happened. Um, in July, July last year, um, uh, July 2013, I found out that uh, a prisoner called Andres Martinez in a prison called uh, Pelican Bay in California had just conducted a two-year-long court battle to read one of my books in prison. Um, this might seem slightly odd that um, a guy who is like in the Mexican mafia and in prison for attempted murder would um, read a book. He had, he had the first one, he'd read the first one, um, which is a cover like this. And, you know, the strap line... Um, who contained the wolf inside, and then would enjoy it so much that he would ask to read the second one, which has a cover like this, and the strap line, um, how does that one go? Oh yes, she's tamed him, but can he tame her? But what I found out about, I know I write really good strap lines, don't I? Um, what I found out about prisons in America is that in the prison libraries, quite a lot of the books are donated by wives and girlfriends. So there's quite a lot of romance fiction, and they read the prisoners, it's not uncommon for them to read a lot of romance fiction, but when he ordered the second book, they said, no, you can't have this because it contains sexual violence and, and bestiality. And um, the bestiality question is quite interesting because that came up while I was writing the books. There was a bit, if, in, um, in erotica publishing, there's kind of like a big three that they want you to stay away from, which is like paedophilia, necrophilia, and bestiality. And like paedophilia, that doesn't really come up, it's not really a problem. It's probably one of the few places currently in the world where it's not really causing any problems at all, it's erotica publishing. But once you start dealing with paranormal monsters, necrophilia and bestiality start being a bit of an issue. Because <laughs> like vampires technically are clearly uh, dead. And well, werewolves turn into wolves. Um, I mean, you probably wouldn't, I think, with most publishers, be able to write just like a sex scene where someone just had sex with a wolf. But what if someone turned into a wolf while you were having sex with them? Would that be okay? I mean, obviously, in a book. I mean, in real life, that would probably be not okay. I think for most people, if you... I think for most people, you had a list of things that were not okay. The top thing would be, man turns into a wolf while I'm having sex with him, number one. Number two, genocide. Number three, I don't know, pineapple on pizza or something. Um, but it was a big debate. The, the question came up again and again of, is, is this book bestiality? While I was writing the book, there was quite a long debate among other authors. One, one person pointed out at one point, um, if a human has sex with a dragon, then that's bestiality for the dragon, because dragons are so intelligent. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, but um, <laughs> you probably are now thinking about a human having sex with a dragon, so you're probably quite glad that you came out tonight for that reason alone. <laughs> While this debate was going on, I actually got an email from an editor, which had this line in it. 
all people involved in sexual acts must have human heads. <laughs> Which might seem fair enough, but I know someone who was at that point writing a sexy Minotaur story and had to junk it for that very reason. But because of the difficulties in working out whether or not werewolf erotica is bestiality, they ended up having a two-year-long legal battle over my book, um, which was basically came down to the question of whether or not it had literary merit. And they ended up producing this. This is a 30-page long court report about my werewolf erotica. Um, it's an amazing read because they've read the whole book. They're, in this, there's, there's like a synopsis of the plot of my book, which is more put together and coherent than anything I ever put together in order to write the book. And look at it, it's massive. This, this, went, this, this went on for two years. I mean, I don't know how much it costs to produce it. How much do you think the people involved in this charge per hour? I mean, based on my stereotype of American lawyers, I would say, like, loads. And so, yes. Um, but for me, as a writer, this is really exciting because what this is, what this really is, this is a 30-page long book review. It's a legally binding book review. It says absolutely amazing things in it. I'm going to read them out of my script again because they're so good and I want to get them exactly right. There's points in this where it says, of my book that I wrote, of werewolf erotica, the book's themes of freedom are proof of its literary merit. And it has characteristics of literary fiction. And, I love this one, considerable effort went in the creation of the book. Considerable effort. And the plot is more than a sham. <laughs> I bet you were thinking, I bet the plot's a sham. It's not, by law. Bless Andreas Mark. I mean, has anyone ever worked so hard to read a book? I mean, I know there were some people who apparently got burnt alive for wanting to read the Bible in English, but apart from them, I reckon my book is the winner here. A lot of those quotes, actually, in the, in the court report are by a guy called Peter Orner, who is a literary author who they got to read the book and be an expert witness. And he says something really interesting and quite literary, it's got to be said. He said Peter Orner said... Um, Pelican Bay is one of the most violent prisons in California. They've got some extraordinarily serious problems. My humble thought, speaking as a writer, is that an inmate reading a book about werewolves having sex is the least of their problems. <laughs> and that's not just amazing. Do you know where that, where that quote's from? New York Times Review of Books. My book of werewolf erotica was in the New York Times Review of Books. When I say I'm the most famous author of werewolf erotica in the world, I'm not joking. <laughs> Um, because this is kind of a courtroom drama and of course you want to know the verdict what, what happened but I think you probably know with like dear little Peter Orner saying the plot is less more than a sham more than a sham not less than a sham that would be another erotica book um, and at one point he even says um, this book is perhaps less than Shakespearean <laughs> of course we won and Andreas has presumably got to read my book and I hope he enjoys it. There's no pressure on me now or anything about, about this. But um, what's important for me about this whole affair is um, legally, I am perhaps less than Shakespearean. That means that legally there's only a little bit of doubt as to whether or not I am better than Shakespeare. 
this case, um, this case was basically about whether or not my books have literary merit. I write werewolf erotica, and now, because they won the case, that means that legally I have literary merit. I know literary authors who can't say, I have literary merit by law. <laughs> but I can, and that is the, you know, the, the, the beauty, I think, of, of werewolf erotica. Thanks very much. So we had Tilly Gregory talking uh, about her adventures as an author of Werewolf Erotica. So this Whoa. is the all right, down, <laughs> down boy. Sorry. Uh, this is the this is the back jacket blurb from Silver Collar, the the first of the of the three books. Eleven years ago, a powerful ancient werewolf ripped Iris's life apart. Mm. One full moon night, it attacked the two people she loved most in the world, killing her twin brother and leaving her boyfriend Alfie changed forever. Iris and Alfie vowed revenge on the beast, but when Alfie began to show a twisted loyalty to the creature who had made him, Iris lost him too. So that's Silver Collar. You read any any erotica like this, Dave? No. No, no. I mean, it's it's um, you know, I, I, it's very much a niche market, and 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 it's basically for people. Twilight doesn't go far enough. It's Twilight with cocks, isn't it? I think it's got artistic integrity in as much as, say, Fifty Shades of Grey has artistic integrity. It's not just porn. It is there is humour in there. There is insight, uh, and I think it's right that the guy should get his 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 werewolf erotica in prison. I think I think the judge chose correctly there i agree and i think you know incredible to be to be pulled into that kind of story that uh you know has echoes of you know there are echoes of, of ginsburg's howl in there aren't there don't you think and, well in the title if nothing else and of course that was an obscenity trial as well wasn't it it's to do with taboos in america isn't it the fact that ginsburg was gay and i think that sort of riled people up and of course this is uh, twinges of bestiality about it and that sort of uh, annoys people as well in america but i think ultimately yeah, uh, ginsburg's howl was about whether it had artistic merit which which the judge i think was on their side from the start. Well, I'm only going, going on the, the film that I've seen. Where <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's right. Yes, that's like the U five seven one where the Americans won the war by getting the Enigma. Must be, must be right. I, I've not seen the film. I have to say, it's in the realm of slash fiction, which is something I've I've dipped my toe in. You can read slash fiction about almost any anything you want. Tilly took this to Edinburgh Festival, didn't she? She did indeed, and it was a great success. Actually, yeah, she yeah. had sellouts and uh, and good reviews. She is she's a very witty and ironic talker. She's she uh, applies a great intelligence to a, a sort of a very. Um, it's like Kurt Vonnegut actually. Kurt Vonnegut started off writing um, stuff in, in in porn mags, didn't he? And and a lot of it was erotica, but he he had an original mind. And, and as you say, when you when you read the stuff, it goes in sort of unexpected directions that pure sort of do it by numbers erotica doesn't. It goes to weird places. So I think it's 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 got a place on the bookshelf of any prison in America, in my mind. Absolutely. Okay, we're going we're going to finish with. Are you sitting comfortably? We're going to finish with a a little reading. I think smashing. Um, she opened her eyes and saw nothing but wolf, silent, slavering wolf. Her first thought was teeth. My, my, what big teeth you have. Above those teeth, golden eyes. The air was cold, the damp grass was colder. Yes, much better, focus on the eyes, not the teeth, the eyes. My, my, what big eyes you have. This wasn't the beast, not the huge creature that had killed Matt and bitten Alfie. This was a big wolf, but not that particular monster. Iris looked deeper into the wolf's eyes. And there's some bit about them shagging later on. Okay, so that's... <laughs> that's uh, the bit I wanted, Dave. You can't leave that out. That's what I was building up for. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm we, we might have younger listeners. Li younger listeners, yeah. We might have younger listeners. I'm just I'm trying, to, trying to keep it clean. Okay, that just about wraps it up from myself, Dr. Bramwell, and uh, my co-host, Mr. Mountfield. If you'd like to write to us, 
then we have uh, we can be contacted simply by by writing to to Dr. Bramwell and Mr. Mountfield at the Auditorium Podcast England. And I and believe that's free post. You don't need to put a stamp on that. It is free post. That will get to us every time. Mm-hmm. So uh, look forward to uh, to the next one. A bientôt. The Auditorium is presented by Dr. Bramwell and Mr. Mountfield and is produced by Andrew Mailing and Dr. Lance Dan. Find out more about us and upcoming live events at oddpodcast.com. To speak at one of our events, or just to say hello, email oddpodcastuk at gmail.com. Tales from the Auditorium regularly feature in Ernest's Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. To pick up a copy, head to earnestjournal.co.uk.